Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Now, I am not reintroducing the idea of purgatory. But on the other hand, I do believe the baby was thrown out with the bathwater. With that came a belief. When you die, you're instantaneously and magically made perfect. The soul of someone who dies immediately goes into eternity. There is no place where you make up for your sins. There is no purgatory. In the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. On second thought, methinks I have... A second thought. I know that seems improbable. This is Wretched Radio. The A-bomb was dropped just a few weeks ago. Esteemed Pastor Alistair Begg encouraging grandmother, it is okay to attend an unbiblical wedding, specifically of your granddaughter. And the world responded pretty unanimously. And I do believe that would be a good that we can see coming out of a mostly unfortunate story. And the good that I see coming out of it is at least we saw what I believe to be unanimity in conservative evangelical circles. I was not able to find anybody on the conservative side of the aisle saying that was good advice. I, 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 I'm, perhaps it's out there, but I don't think that there was anybody that I scoured that would have agreed with that advice. But that doesn't mean the conversation is done because the fallout from that explosion is massive and it has left a number of Christians reeling. Yikes! What what do we do with this? What are the implications? How do I apply this in my own life? And wait a second, evangelicals are very quickly thinking, hey, If I can't attend an unbiblical wedding, if that's the principle, there's all kinds of unbiblical weddings out there. What about the man who marries a woman who did not have a biblical divorce? Uh Uh-oh, that would be an unbiblical wedding, wouldn't it? What about the individual who marries somebody who's not a believer? Uh Uh-oh, that would also be an unbiblical wedding. And perhaps more and more scenarios can be created. What about going to the wedding of two pagans? What about going to the wedding of two pagans who were shacking up together and now they're getting married? And then more questions came from that about should I attend a baby shower where the child is being born out of wedlock? And so it is. The fallout is going to continue for a bit. And I would like to offer. Two thoughts that might help us navigate our way through this scenario. Initially, I thought there's just one thing that we need to focus on. Mowage. What is it? What is that institution? What are the implications for attending a wedding, unbiblical or otherwise? And how does God feel about such sinful unions? and the participation of a Christian. And so it has been my encouragement. We got to study this issue. What's going on when we go? What are we saying with our presence? And we need to have that conversation. There was a lengthy op-ed written. I I can't remember the outlet, so I I don't want to misapply or misname somebody. But the individual asked the question, Did Alistair Begg have a point? 
And his point about Alistair Begg's point was you're not endorsing anything when you go to a wedding. You're just attending, especially when you've told the couple, I don't endorse what you're doing. I'm just going. There's there's the other side of the coin. And we need to sort it. And the only way to do that, in my estimation, is by studying Mowage. But I do believe now, upon further consideration, there's a second consideration. Who are we? What are Christians? What are we called out of? What are we called to? How does salt and light live in a world that hates bright light, doesn't care for saltiness? What are we called to give up for our master? What price are we willing to pay as Christians? If we don't answer those questions, I think that we'll probably have a divergence of opinions. But I do believe the matter can be settled if we will together walk through this to sort out what is marriage and what does it mean to be a Christian. I would turn your attention to about a gazillion verses that talk about who we are, not the least of which would be the words of Jesus Christ himself. Get to preach on this in a couple of weeks at alpharettabiblechurch.org. The Sermon on the Mount. It's the first recorded sermon that Matthew gives us. He has told us and been emphatic The king is coming. The king is here. And then we see how the king treats his servants in Matthew chapter 4. But then in Matthew chapter 5, we see the manifesto of what it means to be a Christian. The king himself defines who we are. He describes what we are to be. And I would encourage you to make your way through the Beatitudes. Make your way through the similitudes. We are different, a lot different. And when you read through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we become even more strikingly different than the world. Jesus takes the law and he turns the knob to brighten the light that indicates, whoa, the commandments run deep. God is not kidding when it comes to holiness. And Jesus uses the law repeatedly to help us understand we better come with empty hands or we don't come at all because we got nothing in these sinful mitts of ours. And Jesus instructs us, servants of the king, members of my kingdom, for whom I have paid the entrance fee, this is what you're supposed to look like. And it was radically different. Now, please note, this is no different than the way the Jewish people, the peculiar people, look to the surrounding nations. The Jewish people were downright odd to the people who surrounded them. As we are learning today, the issue of sexuality and sex, kind of the big issue in society. This is kind of the, if you will, the base issue that so many of these deconstructionist ideas are are based in. It's a big deal. And it was a big deal then too. And before Moses, 
the Ten Commandments before it was enshrined. One man, one woman, people were living any way that they wanted to. The configuration for, we'll call it intimacy, which is probably far too generous a descriptor, it didn't matter with whom or with what you you participated in that act. Didn't matter. Married? Whatever. Child? Who cares? Animal? No problem. And along come the Jews. Nope. One man, one woman. Whoa! Not to mention Sabbath rest. There was not such a thing in Eastern civilization. You work seven days a week because you pretty much had to. Along come the Jews as a peculiar people, and they're told by God, one day a week, you will rest because it's going to be a picture of my son in whom you will have an eternal Sabbath rest. They were peculiar. They were different. And Jesus comes along and even amps it up. (laughs) Not only are you not supposed to be committing adultery, you can't even look with lust. Whoa. We're, we're supposed to be radically different. Scoot over to First Peter. Make your way through the book of persecution and over and over again. I think that we've been through this book multiple times here on Wretched. I, I, I know that we even did a video on this. How is the Christian supposed to live in a world that is becoming harsh, cold, angry, mean, nasty, judgmental, downright wicked. And we see Peter's rather surprising advice when he says, you're a holy people. You're peculiar. You're different. You're going to react differently to all of this so that people will ask about the hope that lies within us. And I think that's instructive, isn't it? When Jesus told us that families are going to divide over him, I think we're, we're, we're starting to see exactly what he meant. When we're peculiar, two things are going to happen. People will divide from us, maybe even try to hurt us, or they're going to ask us about the hope that lies within us. And so as we now confront this culture and this brave new world, we, I believe, more than ever need to remember who we are, what we have been called out of, what we have been called into, what the expectation of being a peculiar, a royal people set aside for God himself, what we're supposed to look like. I don't think it means that we're supposed to be dorky, that we're supposed to wear plaid with stripes. I just think that we are supposed to be so sanctified that the world just can't figure it out. And we know that God intended it to be that way for every generation. And so now as we're confronted with a shifting culture, And we're asking questions about what sort of marriage can I attend? I do believe there are two things that we should focus on before we get to application. What is marriage? And who are we? This is Wretched Radio. So you aren't convinced of the importance of training godly men to rightly divide the word of truth in churches internationally? Well, then we'll let Paul Washer 
convince you. You have to support men who are elder qualified proclaimers of the word. When we support a man coming out of TMAI, we know not only that he is properly trained, but we know that he will still be supervised. Would you please join TMAI, the Master's Academy International, in advancing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through expository preaching in local churches around the globe. It's a magnificent ministry and it's so important. Please consider partnering with TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Thank you for supporting indigenous pastors around the world. Well, in a world that is undeniably cluttered with quick fixes and superficial solutions, now comes a journey into the heart of real change. I'm talking about Transformed Season 3. It's finally here, and we're inviting you into the lives of individuals that are facing the giants of fear and guilt and grief. But hey, there's a twist. These aren't your typical battles. These battles have been fought with the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. You'll witness loneliness and overeating and relational tension met with grace, truth, and love that can only come from the one who knows us the best. This season's not just about watching others. It's about seeing yourself and your struggles and the path to true transformation through biblical counseling. We'll together dive deep into the heart of what it means to be transformed. Transformed Season 3 can be found right now at wretched.org slash transformed3. I believe in a culture of life. One of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms of all three of my kids. The sonogram or the, the pictures that are taken of babies, still a profoundly helpful tool, which encourages me to encourage you to consider supporting Preborn Ministries. Preborn Ministries and their network clinics, they are giving away free ultrasounds to women, but they do cost something. It's $28 an ultrasound. And just as you heard Governor DeSantis say, his view of life was profoundly changed when he saw the baby in the womb when you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat would you please consider supporting preborn it's a great ministry of life it has a high anthropology shares the gospel with women and with the dads preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched books of the bible God called the prophet Jonah to preach repentance in Nineveh. Jonah fled, but he could not outrun God. He was cast into the sea and swallowed by a great fish. Jonah repented, and God spared him. Jonah then preached in Nineveh, and they repented. God is compassionate and merciful, and he is calling men from all nations to repentance. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. No, that was not intentional. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, you suggested that maybe I was kind of making an allusion to Alistair Begg's book, which is titled... Uh, The Christian Manifesto. And I said the Sermon on the Mount is a manifesto for Christians. Correct. No, I wasn't trying to make (laughs) some sort of an allusion to that. It's just that that's what it is. This is a document because it's a recorded sermon of our king who lays down the descriptors of the people that we are called to be. 
And it is an unusual group that he is collecting. These are people who are supposed to be set apart, who are supposed to not be worldly, who are supposed to be pure in thought, word, and deed, to love one another, to not be anxious. That is the calling of the Christian. And when you think about, really in the Gospel of Luke, but it's in every Gospel, Jesus urgent shouting, hey, when you come to me, you put your hands to the plow and you don't look back. You die to self. You pick up your electric chair and follow me. I just contemporized what a cross was considered back in the first century. Everybody knew that it was a torture tool. It was the nastiest way to die. And what does Jesus say? Pick up your cross follow me. He picked up his cross. And that is the life that we are called to. And if we fail to remember that, I think that we are probably going to be swayed to compromise and to not be as shiny and salty as we are called to be as we live in this world. And that is why I do believe the two issues, at least at this moment, that I think would be the most pressing for us as we make our way through the issue of Christian participation in ungodly things. How now are we supposed to live? I think we need to study marriage. And I do believe that we need to study us. Who are we supposed to be? When Jesus said that we need to be willing to lay down our lives, what do we think that looks like? Did we just think, oh, if we get fed to the lions, I guess? No, it meant far more <laughs> sacrifice than that. It means that we lay down our everything and we let him dictate the terms of our life. Why should we let him do that? Because he is the most magnificent king anyone could ever imagine. All of the kings, all the rulers of this earth, they're dim reflections. So think of your favorite king, your favorite ruler. Pales in comparison would be an understatement to Jesus the king. He brings us into his kingdom. He affords us every blessing of members of his kingdom. He keeps us in his kingdom. He lets us reign in his kingdom. What kind of a king are we talking about here? We're talking about King Jesus. You're a member of his kingdom. And he's purchased you. He owns us. And we should happily ask our master, what do you want from me? Because I'll happily give it. Lord of glory, who has bought us? This song regularly gets stuck in my head. With thy lifeblood as the price, never grudging for the lost ones, that tremendous sacrifice, and with that, has freely given blessings countless as the sand to the ungrateful and the evil with thine own unsparing hand. We sang a hymn in church yeah, a week ago. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou might ransom be and risen from the dead. I gave my life for thee. What have you given for me? The answer should be everything. And I think once we arrive at a clear definition of who we are as kingdom people, 
I think we'll have clarity on a lot of these now confusing issues. I received a stack of emails sent to idea at wretched.org, none of which were snarky. My question is, are you being consistent? And this was not, this was from John and he believed he wasn't snarky. Are you being consistent? That's a fair question. Because I think that we all understand. It's like, okay, so if you're saying a gay wedding is verboten, well, what about other sinful configurations? That's a really fair question. And I believe that once we establish the principle, once we determine that a marriage should be held in high esteem, if not by the world, certainly by us, and we recognize that marriage is more than the societal glue that keeps us together and stabilized. It is that. But it is intended for procreation, to make image bearers of God, for pleasure, for partnership, and for a proclamation. This is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even though the world has decimated it in its meaning, we know the true meaning. And we then, as we go about the business of studying what marriage is, I think we're going to get some clarity combined with who are we as salt and light. If you consider what the Bible has to say about marriage, I, I think there's, there's a couple of verses that help us sort this. And I think that the, the verses would, of course, be we go to Genesis, one man, one woman. We see that in the garden. We see that affirmed and modeled throughout Scripture. Jesus affirmed that in Matthew chapter 19 in the context of divorce, a gotcha question. He affirmed one man, one woman. But then interestingly, in 1 Corinthians 7, we get this. Now, to, to the married, I command, not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. What? What's going on? Two pagans got married. One of them gets saved. You can't get divorced. What does that tell us by inference? That God sanctions pagan marriage because they are good for society. So if two pagans get married, no problem, as long as it's natural, long as it's one man, one woman. I do believe you should be free to go to a pagan wedding. Now, what about the other unbiblical configurations, like somebody who was not divorced biblically, unequally yoked marriage? Well, what do we do with those? Well, if we've determined that a marriage is one man, one woman esteemed highly in the eyes of God, and that that configuration would indeed be a sin, attending would be to affirm a sin. And when I was noodling through this, that is when I came up with my second thought. Whew. Oh, wow. We might be turning down a lot of wedding invitations. This, my, <laughs> this could mean a lot of people in my family get mad at me. Not just the gay couple, but wow. All kinds of configurations could be problematic. Yep. And that's why I think we need to remember who we are. He sacrificed his life for us. When everyone fled, Jesus persevered. He stayed the course. He coordinated his death. He coordinated it. Uh, just, I, I think we have a tendency to think about, well, after Lazarus, then he started marching, then he was timing this. My time has not yet come. But you see that in other places in the Gospels. 
What about when Matthew chapter four, when John, uh, four, th- right in the beginning of Matthew, it's three or four, when John the Baptist is being, I think it's four, is being person. No, that's the temptation. Then it's the, yeah. So it's chapter four. Look, don't tell me that you never go through little dilemmas like this and you got to figure it out. Otherwise, you can hardly breathe. Is this some form of OCD I'm having, Jimmy? A little bit, yeah. Maybe a little bit. (laughs) John the Baptist is in prison, about to be beheaded. What did Jesus do? He moved to Capernaum, uh, to the land of Zebulun and Nephtali. Why? Well, it was in fulfillment of a prophecy. Second, uh, it was because there was danger afoot. And it wasn't as, he was just beginning his ministry. So Jesus coordinated his death so that you and I don't have to face it. And now he says, I've given you that. What are you going to sacrifice for me? Are these easy decisions? Of course, of course they're not. Uh, but I, I don't know that they're complicated as much as conflicting. <sighs> my family, and to act as if it ain't no big whoop, I, I think is to lack some humanity, honestly. We've got somebody in our church and they're dealing with, and maybe it's clear cut in our brains, but for them, they're just going through it. And that is why I would encourage you, if you've never done it before, be a member of a local church, because it's just a matter of time for you. It is. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna feel the squeeze on this. Whether it's at work, neighborhood, the association that you're in, you're going to feel the squeeze and you're gonna need other brothers and sisters. We need to walk through this together patiently, lovingly, biblically. And I do believe that as we go about the business of studying marriage and studying who we are, what Jesus has done for us, what he has called us to, we will not only have clarity, we will have consistency. This is Wretched Radio. Titles of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called the cornerstone. When laying a foundation, every stone must be aligned in reference to the cornerstone. God is building his church as a holy temple, and as believers, we are being brought into line with the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. It ain't easy to be consistent. This is Wretched Radio. No doubt you're still chatting about the A-bomb that was dropped and the fallout that continues to make waves. How do we Christians react and respond and make decisions about other unbiblical wedding configurations? And that's going to spill into other other realms and other events and other celebrations. Well, what what about Thanksgiving? Am I, can I go to the house of a pagan, a relative who's gay? And I think that in order to sort it, we study marriage, we study who we are. And I do believe that we'll have clarity and I do believe that we will have consistency. An email that was sent in from John. Are you being consistent? For example, do you refuse to attend a wedding mass? Great question. If I've concluded that a wedding 
is to be between one man, one woman. And let's say that is what is happening at a wedding mass, a Catholic mass. Can I go to that? Well, if you just applied the rule of, yeah, well, it's a boy and a girl, so you can go. You would say, I guess I can. Hold on. The issue baked inside of the question, what is a wedding, includes what is my presence communicating? So now you've got yourself what we would call a natural marriage, one man, one woman, and yet it is being done as a part of a sacrament and ceremony that as a Protestant, we should see and go, whoa, I don't want to give affirmation to that. I don't want to tell people that I'm okay with the Mass and when communion is being served, when the Mass is being offered, that Jesus has been re-crucified and that a priest is calling down our Savior? What does my presence say when I participate in that? And I think that we have clarity and consistency. I couldn't go to that because I don't, whether anybody there knows who you are or not, your presence communicates something. And ultimately, it doesn't matter what it communicates to people. It matters what it communicates to God. And that's why I fall right back to who am I? What am I called to? Am I really, really required to make sacrifices for my sacrifice savior? That was kind of a redundant question. Redundant? No, that was a rhetorical question. It may have been redundant too. The point is, we've got to figure out who we are. And we've got to figure out what our master calls us to don't don't go back and check out the land. Follow me. What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler when he boasted that he kept all the commandments? Fine, sell everything you have. Because his idol, his priority was riches and wealth. So he didn't follow after Jesus because he wasn't willing to surrender all. And we're called to that. And if we are in his kingdom, It might be time for us to start sacrificing. And pretty soon, quite honestly, I'm I'm not a futurist, certainly not a prophet. I think that we're all going to be facing it very, very soon. That's, That's my thinking on the matter about the future of Western civilization. I mean, I I just have a slew of articles that indicate, uh uh-oh, this this thing is Paul Simoning right in front of us. Religious nuns now outnumber all individual religious cohorts from National Review. One quarter, 28% of American adults now identify as religiously unaffiliated. The number was 16% in 2007. So there's more people who say, I'm nothing. That's more than the Catholic religion, and it's more than evangelical Protestants. It's shifting. And we should anticipate that we are going to experience what those shifts mean. You remove the underpinnings from a culture and you're going to see things change. And because we are living in a world of self, uh, you get in the way of me pleasing me and you're in trouble. Read an interesting article speaking of weddings. Last week, this was quite an article from one Johann Kurtz, The Sins of Our Fathers, a video of a woman explaining why she refused to let her father walk her down the aisle. 
garnered millions of views. This is what she said. As an independent thinker, not community, not family, me, as an independent thinker, I've decided we're not going to do every single wedding tradition. It's the year 2023. I don't know why this resurfaced now. Women are not property anymore. <laughs> Jimmy, I'm trying to recall. When did we get to own women in Christendom? I don't actually recall that, but nevertheless, I will be walking myself down the aisle. What is that? That's the autonomous self-society that is being built on the flimsy framework of postmodernism. And it's going to change everything. It's going to change the way that the world looks at us and how angry they get when we say no. Nearly 30% of Zoomers as adults now identify as LGBTQ. Now, I think there's some details in that that indicates no, because they're not acting on it. They're just claiming it because I think much of this is a social contagion. It's actually cool uh, to be LGBTQ. Nevertheless, if the mindset is you've got to live and let live, what are they going to do to the people who say, no, you can't do that? It's going to potentially get pretty ugly. Oklahoma, Oklahoma legislator proposes a law that would outlaw porn. That would have been like a no-brainer 50, 60 years ago today. How dare you, Jimmy Fallon, in his lame comedic way, tried to make jokes about it. What? What does that say? Just the normalizing of porn, like, can you imagine these people don't want us to make porn? Can you? Wow. How crazy are these people? This is quite a bill. Senator Dusty Devers, you might want to pray for him, would prohibit consuming or producing sexual content that lacks serious literary, artistic, educational, political, or scientific purposes or value in any medium. Why? And because porn is protected under First Amendment rights. So they define obscene material, nudity, could carry prison sentences, up to $2,000 fines. Anyone who produces or promotes untoward content to be sued by any state resident for $10,000. And he is getting absolutely pilloried. This is going on everywhere. Switzerland is losing its religion. It used to be predominantly Catholic and, interestingly, Protestant evangelical reformed. And the nuns are outnumbering the Roman Catholics and the Protestant evangelical reformed church. For a number of reasons, but what are we seeing? We're seeing a shifting in society. And we've, we've got a world that's going bonkers around us. And I feel these things like you do. You got family members who are not walking with the Lord and you want them to be saved. I want that for them. I get that. Um, but are we willing to compromise our testimony? We are to be walking lights. No, we shouldn't be walking around like Jim Caviezel all the time with that kind of mystical, uh, oh, I'm in ethereal land because I played Jesus in the Mel Gibson movie. No, we're not supposed to be weird, but we're peculiar and we're different. And we need to recognize that we're going we're gonna to be called to make a sacrifice for the Savior. 
So back to the original question. Are you being consistent? Do you refuse to attend a wedding mass? Well, what is a wedding? What does one's presence communicate? And what about, another email came in, what about, as more of my childhood friends in my life get engaged, wedding invites are in my future. What's the difference between attending an unsaved worldly friend's wedding versus the circumstance that Alistair was confronted with? What about going to that baby shower of a child born out of wedlock? Hey, aren't you saying something? Okay, let's try to sort that one, shall we? You're invited to a baby shower of a young lady, young man, whatever the configuration is here, the individual. Do you go? Well, a baby being born and celebrated, regardless of how it happened, I think because of our view on Imago Day, we can celebrate that. But I do think that we would have a responsibility to say, I'm, I'm here because I love you and I'm celebrating life, but you do need to know uh, that, that I don't affirm what you're doing. And you might say, wait a second, what, that's, how is a baby shower different than attending a wedding? Well, because a baby shower isn't a ceremony with theological pictures behind it. I think that's the difference. And you might say, nah, I'm not buying that one. Okay, we'll sort it. We'll talk through this. But as we do, we need to remember all of our ologies, all of our biblical considerations. What a marriage is, it's different than a baby. It's like it's different than a birthday party. And who we are. This is Wretched Radio. Okay, so imagine that you're inside of a maze and every corner that you take, there's another wall, there's another obstacle. And you finally get to the point of frustration where you think you're never going to get out. But then imagine a different scenario. You're still inside that maze, but every corner you take is a guide who has a flashlight and is saying, nope, that's the right way to go. And in that scenario, we welcome you to Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford. And whether you've listened or not, you'll realize really quickly it's not your everyday radio show. Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford takes issues that many, if not all of us, struggle with. And it matches them up to hope and healing through the pages of the Bible. It is genuinely an entirely new perspective. New episodes drop every Saturday morning in your favorite podcast spot or at transformed.org slash podcast transformed with dr greg gifford i would say the tomorrow clubs is a wonderful ministry kids are getting saved like crazy not just in eastern europe but also in africa and it's so efficient i was just with paul and cindy marty and i asked and it said in, in american currency how much does it cost to have a kid come to a tomorrow club four times a month so every single week what what's the what does it take to make that happen ready a buck, one dollar, that's it. The kid comes, they get treats, they get materials that they learn the Bible, they memorize a buck because it's it's all volunteer driven. All those dear ones, they're volunteers. It's an amazing ministry. And if you have a heart for the lost in Eastern Europe, Africa, and you love supporting ministries that are super efficient and biblically sound, I would point you in the direction of tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, and ask how many children might I be able to support per month? 
Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. You know, you're the reason that we get so excited about every broadcast. Now, one of the questions you may be wondering is, what's it like on the other side? You know, we know everyone's life is a bit different and not everyone is in a place that they can contribute in the same way. And that is perfectly okay. But if you are, I want to encourage you to actually put some more thought and some more prayer and some more conversation into it. If you feel moved, if you feel led and you're in a good spot in your life right now, then we would welcome you with open arms. But hey, remember this, if you're in debt, if you're not giving to your local church, then we don't want you giving to us. When have you ever heard a ministry turn down donations? Because that's not who we are. We don't want to put any pressure or undue stress on you to partner with us. So if you're in a good place in your life right now, visit wretched.org donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. Every bit of support, big or small, makes a tremendous difference. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the Bridegroom. Christians are waiting for Christ's return, which the book of Revelation describes as the wedding of the Lamb. Christ will come to usher His bride, His church, into eternity with Him. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. What is love? No, what is truth? No, 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 scratch that. What is love? What is, no, wait, wait, what is truth? This is Wretched Radio. Those appear to be two different questions. I would suggest to you for the Christian, they're the same question. Because love is the truth. And the truth, being spoken rightly, is love. And we do well to not confuse truth and love. They aren't separate categories when it comes to how we communicate to people. We must do both simultaneously. Truth and love aren't in separate corners. They walk hand in hand. At least they do for the Christian. And one of the loving things that we can do for people who are confused living in sin is to speak the truth to them, which is an act of love. And as long as the subject of love has been brought up, permit me to read you a text. I know I hate it when people do that too. But I think that there is so much in a text I received from a fellow whose name is Dan that I'm not going to mention to help us think through our current issues of how we respond to the world that says, you've got to go participate in something that I think most Christians would say, ah, it's unbiblical. It's sinful. Of course, I'm talking about marriages that aren't between a man and a woman. Marriages uh, that perhaps the Bible has said, oh, that's a sinful matrimony. And to go to that, you've got to ask yourself the question, are you affirming that sin? Ask yourself the question, and I don't, don't bypass yourself in this, but ask yourself the question, why is it that we are so moderated in our speech regarding these issues? Is it possible that the world has been very successful in redefining love, that we are quite allergic to speaking truth in love because we don't think that will be loving? Hey, if you tell them the truth about their sinful union, that's not nice. That's not loving. Hold it. The Bible says speaking truth is love, and love is speaking the truth. 
And I can't help but wonder if the world hasn't done a bang-up job in persuading all of us that love is really sentimentality. That, that something, action, word spoken, worldview, that makes somebody feel bad isn't loving. And, and that's not what love is. Love is always speaking the truth regardless of the consequences. Yeah, there's times, of course, when we use discretion, when we apply wisdom. But to reject speaking the truth because the world has told us that's not nice because it makes somebody feel bad is, is not the definition of either truth or love. Two sides of the same coin. And this text that I received from my buddy, I think might help us, and it might help us all do a little self-examination. Am I inclined to make a decision about whether to attend an unbiblical wedding because I want to be loving according to the world's definition? Here's what my, my, my buddy wrote. Todd, another contributing factor to the overall situation is how American Christians process the idea of love. For the last 50 years, the secular world has branded love merely as an emotional reaction or way to treat people in their lives. This type of love has never been effective in fostering healthy relationships because it's not true. This is funny. After all, John Lennon said, all you need is love. And then the Beatles broke up. <laughs> Love must be seen as doing what is in the best interest of another person. Whoa, hold the phone, Henrietta. When you think love, do you think that? I, I, I will confess to you, as I've been processing the A-bomb that was dropped, uh, I get it. Believe me, I get it. It's like, ah, grandma grandson and he's going to think that she's really mean hold it what is it have i have i possibly imbibed to a degree the world's definition of love as merely doing nothing that ever annoys anybody or am i thinking in biblical concepts love must be seen as doing what is in the best interest of another person love does what hopes all things believes all things we, we, we want the best for people. We see the teaching in life of Christ replete with this example, whether it is the story of the Good Samaritan or the very incarnation of Christ. Love does what's in the best interest of the other person, regardless of the cost to oneself. That's love. We need to perhaps re- define or at least remember the biblical definition of what love is. Because if we don't, we will all become pragmatists. We'll make decisions based on a deficient view of love. Now, does this mean that love can never have warm fuzzies? No. Um, but that isn't the highest form of love. The highest form of love is doing regardless. Not, not doing something that pleases self per se but doing something that is good for you. I'm, I'm doing this because this is good for you. Now, what is good for people who are confused about their gender, their sexuality? What's good for them? They need to know the truth. They need to know what God says. They need to know where he draws the lines. 
When love is viewed in this way, writes my buddy, it forces the individual to do hard things for the sake of another person. I don't think that value can be minimized. In a real way, the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself demands that an individual not reinforce false concepts and blatant blasphemy in the life of another person. How helpful is that? Because what what I keep thinking about and what I keep hearing when it comes to the issue of pronouns has been the mantra, and I'm not saying it's wrong, by the way, has been the mantra, you can't participate in deception. You cannot affirm the lie that the individual is believing. And that is most certainly true. But there's another mantra that we should consider. Am I loving my neighbor as myself? Not only am I not, but am I doing Not only am I not willing to participate in deception, am I willing to love? And what does love require? Truth. They go hand in hand. My my buddy concludes, the very way we think of love has shifted under our feet and now is shifting again in regard to familial relationships in the realm of sexuality. And then he writes, gotta go. Listening to Debbie Boone's classic, You Light Up My Life, and the chorus is about to hit. After all, how could it be wrong when it feels so right? (laughs) The world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing we need. Didn't the Beatles get divorced, too? It's not enough. It's insufficient. It's sentimental. And by the way, because I know you're interested, I responded to my my brother. I, I believe this does need to be amplified and put on a front burner. But if you think you're busy, I'm torn between two lovers and feeling like a fool while listening to the Pina Colada song. If you get those references, you're old. I'm just happy you responded. (laughs) You don't typically respond. (laughs) That is not true. (laughs) That is not true. (laughs) I resemble that remark. How do you define love? Maybe, just maybe, if you're confronted with one of these conundrums, let biblical love drive you. Let let biblical love push you. The world is pressing in on all sides to redefine love. Consider what they're doing with marriage itself. Love is love. Isn't that the mantra? And and I'm sorry, um, I think we've bought into it to a degree, varying degrees, all of us. I, I really don't think anybody has not been impacted by it to some degree. Some people have cons- just drank the Kool-Aid and they've equated love with nice, love with, uh, love with I'll do whatever makes you happy. It's not what love is. It, love is not what makes somebody happy. Now, you can do something loving that does make somebody happy. But you do the loving thing that is best for the person. That's agape love. That, that's, that's why God created the universe. God did not create an entire solar system because he was bored and needed something to do on Friday nights. He created it out of his love. And we need to understand what that love is. Please note, I don't think it's ever without affection. I don't think it's ever without warm sentiments. But God's love is a love that just gives and gives and gives. What does he give? What makes us happy? No, he doesn't even do that for his children. 
Ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. But if you need to be discipled, I won't give it to you. Or I might even give you something that you need so that you progress in the better thing. Becoming like my son. Love. It speaks truth. Love is truth. And love does what is best for the other person, regardless of the fallout. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.